Creator God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we stand amazed by what your creating power has done in the life of Jenica. Just 11 months ago, she was in this accident, and after preaching your gospel on a Sunday morning, and we just didn't know. And she has worked hard, and people have prayed hard, and you, Creator God, have knit her back together in ways beyond our imagining. So we stand with Carissa in gratitude, and with her parents, and with her other sister, Michelle, and we are bold to pray that you will continue to work out some beautiful creations through Jenica. Use her, Lord. Heal her. Thank you for placing the gospel on her lips to us today. And as she said, may we have brave hearts, hearts that long to become more and more like Jesus. We pray this for the Najoni house as they learn how to live well together, to be good listeners, to be patient, to take the time. These are reminders that we all need. And so we pray that this week, when we're walking by the chapel, walking down Heminga Hall, that Holy Spirit, you will bring them to mind. So we will lift them before you, and we will lift the Creston neighborhood before you, and pray for wisdom for Pastor Sean and the other leaders in that church as they make decisions about property and the neighborhood and development. Show them, Holy Spirit, what your vision is for that place and what you are creating there. And maybe you are doing a new thing. Lord, we thank you for this season of Lent that we move into, a season when we remember again what distance there was between you and us. And how sin continues to make that distance feel so great from you and from each other. And so, Lord, as we think about this season, help us to give up the things we really need to give up. Maybe it's our pride, and we actually need to go to the counseling center and get some help. Maybe it's pornography, and it's about time we talked to somebody about it and had some accountability. Maybe it's cheating, and we need to confess some things to a professor or two. Maybe it's just our selfishness, and we need to practice generosity. Holy Spirit, invite us into a season of Lent that leads to life. Because Lent does lead to Easter. And you invite us to reflect on our sins, not to lead us into depression, but to lead us into life. To lead us into a better way of living. To make us holy. And so we pray that you get to work in us. Sanctify us through and through. So we become more and more like Jesus. We pray that for our whole campus. As we think about Sabbath, as we think about Lent, as we think about relationships, as we think about studies and vocation and graduate school and work, call us into holiness. We thank you, Lord, that on this night when it's cold, we are together and we feel the warmth of your love. 
and that sin does not distance us from you because of Jesus Christ. We thank you that we can lean into him, that his blood washes away our sins and allows us to be in relationship with you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We pray for anyone here who does not yet have that assurance that they will trust you today, that they will give up their sin and embrace life instead. Ah, Lord, we pray for that, for all that we love who are far from you, that you will draw them in. Thank you for this opportunity to worship together. As we turn to your word, we pray that you speak to us. Crack open our hearts where they need to be cracked open so you can get in there and do what you need to do. And we ask this through Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. Amen. So last week we talked about Sabbath as the big entry into the all-campus study that we're doing together. For the next four weeks we're looking at creation, fall, redemption, consummation, and how Sabbath gets woven through and expressed in each of those things. So today, creation, can you guess the passage? Genesis, Genesis 1, yes, you're right. It wasn't a trick question at all. This is found, coincidentally, on page one in the Bible. We're going to be reading this together, and we're going to read uh, through chapter 2, verse 3. And we're going to do this as a team. Every time I say, and there was evening and there was morning, you read the next words. All right? Um, so there are a number of days that happen. There was evening and there was morning, and then you say the something day. And you've got to be a little careful when we get to chapter 2, because I'm just going to stop talking, and it's not going to say evening and morning. It's just going to say the something day. All right? So I know it's a Sunday night, but you're here. All right, here we go. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning. The first day. And God said, let there be a dome in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the dome and separated the waters that were under the dome from the waters that were above the dome. And it was so. God called the dome sky. And there was evening and there was morning. And God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees of every kind on earth that beareth fruit with the seed in it. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed of every kind, and trees of every kind bearing fruit with the seed in it. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning. The third day. 
And God said, let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. God set them in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning. And God said, let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. So God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves of every kind with which the waters swarm and every winged bird of every kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seeds and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things and wild animals of the earth of every kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind and the cattle of every kind and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, see, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning. Oh, what happens then? <laughs> Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it because on it, God rested from all the work he had done in creation. This is the word of the Lord. Now generally here at Calvin College, when we talk about creation, we generally talk about it in one of two ways. We talk about it as a state of being, as in creation, fall, redemption, consummation. Creation is a state of being, a state of being when everything was good, just like we read about. It was good, 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 it was very good. Creation as a state of being. Everything was just the way it was supposed to be, and we are no longer there. 
That's how we often talk about creation. Creation is a state of being which we no longer occupy. That's one way we often talk about creation. The other way we often talk about creation around here is as a process that we need to figure out. Like, how did this all happen? I mean, was it like six 24-hour days, or is that like a poetic way, a way to structure the book, so just random units of time, because the sun doesn't get you know, made till later, so how does this all work, and how do we reconcile the fossil record with the biblical record, and you know, origins, and all this kind of business, you know? so that's also how we talk about creation. It's a process, something happened, and we need to figure it out. And we also kind of use it as a limits test. Like, if you love God a lot, you're going to think it happened this way. And if you're not so much on God, you're going to think it's happened this way. <laughs> so we talk about creation as a state of being, or we talk about creation as a process that we need to figure out. And in both of those, we take creation and we push it away from ourselves, as if it happened to somebody else. It's, it's somebody else's business. It's somebody else's problem. Creation is a state of being, you know, that happened a long time ago, I'm nowhere near that. And creation is like a process, you know, I'm not a biology major, I don't really, I don't know these things. Or I am a biology major and I'm trying to figure it out and I still don't know all these things. <laughs> and we get to push it away and be objective about it and kind of study it. Hmm, let me think about this for a while. But creation, the story, Creation, the doctrine, creation at its core is about the relationship between God and his creation. Creation is about a relationship. It's not about mm, a state of being, primarily, or mm, a process, primarily. It's about a relationship, primarily. Genesis 1, Genesis 2. To and beyond describe all the way through Scripture the relationship between God and His creation. That's what creation is about. And so theologians say that if we really want to understand what's going on, we need to understand what God reveals about Himself in creation. That we read Scripture to learn more about God. And they say, if you study creation, there are two characteristics of God that become apparent, and you have to have both of them in balance. The first one is that God is transcendent. Transcendent. God is independent of and superior to the rest of the universe. That's a, that's a theologian, Millard J. Erickson, who said that. That's what transcendent means. Like God is away, God is above, God is distinct from creation. He is transcendent. So when we talk about God being high and lifted up, these kind of things, we're talking about God being other, God being away, God being distinct from, superior to creation. Now, you're all like, yeah, good, got it, great. Here's the problem. People tend to lean a little bit too much into transcendence sometimes. Several years ago, Bette Midler came out with a song, which I'm sure you heard uh, because it was played on pop radio all the time. God is watching us, God is watching us, God is watching us. Next line. Anyone? Anyone? Where are my old people? 
from a distance, from a distance, Google it, iTunes, Spotify, whatever you need to do. God is watching us from a distance, right? Really pretty song, really bad theology. Horrible theology. She's leaning, not she, she didn't write the song, I don't think, but someone there is leaning too much into the transcendent idea that God is so far away, he's so beyond, that he's like watching us from a distance, like he's getting out the super binox and go like, what's happening out there? I don't want to look anymore, it's too depressing. <laughs> like, like that idea of God being transcendent, if you lean too much into it, you think God is far away he is not actually involved in things. You get this in popular vernacular when people talk about the man upstairs. Have you heard that one? Okay, good. I feel a little better now. <laughs> Got to dial up my pop culture references. <laughs> when people talk about the man upstairs, they're talking about somebody who is outside of their own home area, right? Like he lives in the apartment upstairs. We just don't want to bother him because then he gets crabby and he pounds on the floor. That's the idea when people lean a little too much into transcendent. Or uh, sometimes you see somebody who has a success, they win an award, they score a touchdown, and they point. Right? They point out, like. And we all know that they're pointing to God. Like, that's what they're trying to say. Like, it's not about me, it's all about God. It's great. Cosmology is a little simple. But it comes from this idea in scripture that God is up, that he is high, that he is lifted. Now the cosmology of the Bible was, was pretty simple. It was earth, waters under the earth, sky, heavens. So there were just two directions. God wasn't down. He wasn't on the earth or under the earth. So he had to be up. Good things were up. You looked for direction up. The stars, the moon, the sun, these things told people where to go and how to live and what was coming. And so they learned, you look up, you look up, you look up. And so when people lean a little bit too much into the transcendent, you get this idea that God is great and he's powerful and whatever, but he's a long way away. He's really not so much interested in me. He does not know my middle name doesn't know my class schedule, doesn't really care whether or not I find a parking spot. <laughs> He's far, far away. And you sometimes have this in pop culture too, when someone's in a really big jam and then they say, hi, I haven't talked to you in a while, but I really need some help. Like, you're not in my day-to-day, -day. it's not like you and I have any kind of relationship, but I'm in a bit of a bind, so I'm going to like pull the God card. That's transcendent taken to the extreme. Now, some of you who are doing the Sabbath Bible study read from Nehemiah this week. Nehemiah had a bit of his work cut out for him trying to get the people who were returning from exile to remember what it was like to be in a relationship with God. He was trying to say, remember, remember what it's like to be in a relationship with God? Remember, let's do that together. And Ezra was his companion. Ezra was his friend. He was the prophet. He was the priest. Ezra worked with Nehemiah to get the people turning back toward God. And one of the things Ezra does in Nehemiah 9 is he prays this long prayer, which basically recounts the relationship between God and God's people. 
And this is how he starts. And Ezra said, you are the Lord, you alone. You made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. To all of them, you give life and the host of heaven worships you. That's a good view of transcendent. That's the corrective of transcendent. That's a God who is in relationship with his people to whom we can pray and whom we worship because he is almighty and all-powerful and above and superior to us. That's a good corrective on transcendent. So theologians say when we look at the creation story, what we see there is a God who comes in separate from, distinct from, superior to creation. But there's more. There's another really important thing that we see in the story of creation, and that's the idea that God is imminent. Not that he's like imminent, like his arrival is imminent, but imminent spelled a little differently. Immanent, if you ever have a, a grad school GRE exam, immanent. God is present and active within nature, human nature, and history. God is present and active within nature, human nature, and history. So, if there are people who lean too much into transcendent, there are people who lean a little too much into imminent. If the people who lean this way are farsighted, they can only see God at a distance, like he's far, far away. The people over here are nearsighted, and they see God in everything, like, oh, God's in the tree, oh, God's in the piano, oh, God's in the money, like, God's everywhere, like, God's in everything, man. <laughs> That's leaning a little too much into the imminent, that God is everywhere and in everything, a little nearsighted. Some of you may have done yoga, and at the end um, of yoga, what do you say? Namaste, which means the divine light in me is acknowledging the divine light in you, which makes me go like, because no, I'm not divine. There ain't nothing divine going on in here. The Holy Spirit has a name, and he indwells, but I'm not acknowledging any kind of like, just you being you is divine even though you're awesome, Rachel. <laughs> Just you being you out there in the world, not so much divine. So people lean a little too much into transcendent and they lean a little too much into imminent and they see God in everything. And, uh, and this is called pantheism. Pan, Greek, everything. Theism, Greek, God, everything God. God, everything. Oh man, I see God in like the trees. And then the mountains. No, 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 no. You see creation. You see the power of the creator. Be specific. If you lean a little too much into the imminent, God's like right on everything all the time. And you're not being specific enough. If you lean into the transcendent, you're farsighted and you can't see what he's doing right here. So scholars say you've got to bring these things together. That's how you find a healthy balance of who God really is. Because he is independent and superior too, but he's also present and active within nature and human nature and history. You see, often we think that the creation just happened a long time ago and, and that was like done, like God like finished it, like seventh day, nailed it, creation done. 
But the truth is, being creator is part of who he is. Like, he can't not be creating. He keeps creating things. And sometimes we need to be taught about what he keeps creating. Whenever you ask a married couple how they met, that's a creation story. That's God going like, oh, let me tell you how this happened. This is so awesome. Okay, like he had this friend and she had this friend and they went on a double date and they didn't think it was going to work and they totally worked. Yeah, me, yeah. <laughs> That's a creation story. Some of you, how you got to Calvin College, it's a creation story. God is creating something amazing in you and around you, through you in this place. He is imminent. He is imminently involved in the details of our lives, constantly working to create. This is who he is. This is what he does. The best picture of God's imminence, his specific attention to every detail of our lives, is also a really popular passage. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you eat, or what you drink, or what you're going to wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father does what? Feeds them. Eminence. Are you not of more value than they? The answer there is yes. And can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? The answer there is... (laughs) That was kind of reluctant. No. (laughs) And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like none of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't worry, saying, hey, what what are we going to eat? Or, uh, do you have anything to drink? Or, what am I going to wear? Because the Gentiles, like, they run after all those things. But, you see, the difference here is that your heavenly Father, he knows that you need them. So, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all that stuff will be yours as well. Don't worry about tomorrow, because, you know, every day is going to have trouble. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Imminence. God is intimately involved. God feeds the birds. He is that involved in his creation. He did not, as the deists would say, he did not just, you know, get the thing spinning and send it off and go read the paper. Like, he is intimately involved. He knows exactly how cold it is tonight. This is not a surprise to God. He is not looking down on West Michigan and going, dude, sorry, so sorry, guys. Layer up. He knows. He knows. Intimately involved in all of these details of our lives. So here's a cool thing. Scholars do this with the days of creation. They line them up. Allison will find it in just a minute. If you line up the days, do you see how cool this is? 
Like, first, he makes a place for everything. A place for everything and food for everything. And then he takes all the things and he puts them in their places. God, a place for everything and everything in its place. And he just gets everything moving. And then he says, go be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. That's not exactly right because the seas technically come on day three, but scholars really like it when things line up. So they kind of, the water's a little sloppy. Water splashes over days two and three. (laughs) You're welcome. And so he sets everything in motion and he says, be fruitful, multiply, go on, go on, keep it going, let's go, let's go team. And the whole creation starts to churn, starts to churn, starts to churn. Planets are starting to spin, the moon's getting it on. Everything's going, everything's moving, everything's turning. The tides are coming in, the tides are going out. The atoms are spinning, the molecules are moving. Everything has to keep moving for creation to keep going. Everything has to keep moving for creation to keep going. Everything has to keep moving for creation to keep going. And God goes, I'm good. I'm just going to take a day. Because God is transcendent. He is not creation. God does not have to keep moving. He's good. He takes a day. He rests. He steps out of the constant movement of everything he has just set up and says, I'm good. I'm just going to take it all in. And then... He says to the human beings, hey, you guys take a day off too. Because I know your creation and everything, but here's what I'm going to do, Psalm 8. I'm going to set you just a little bit above everybody. I'm going to give you dominion. I'm going to put you in charge of the birds and the fish and the cattle and the creeping things. You remember that when you have a spider in your room, you have dominion. (laughs) He says, you guys are in charge. So you don't have to keep spinning and moving either because I invite you because I am transcendent God and I am imminent God and I care for you. I invite you to stop spinning too because I've made you in my image and everything else is going to keep on moving but because you are a little bit more like me, you get to have a day off. You get to stop spinning and churning and producing and just rest. He gives that gift because he is transcendent and apart from creation and because he is intimate and cares about the details of every one of our lives and says, you are a bunch of people who need a break. Take a day. Come hang out with me. It'd be awesome. And as I've talked with people about this this week, as we've been thinking about Sabbath, and I did the Sabbath box last week, for those of you who weren't here, and people are like, I love the idea of the Sabbath box. I want to like move into the Sabbath box and never leave the Sabbath box, which is a different issue. That's not good. <laughs> but they say, I don't, I don't know how to do it. I mean, I've got homework. I have co-curricula. I have all these things. I don't know how to move into rest. And so I thought tonight it might be helpful for you to hear a testimony 
of a student who has figured out how to move into the gift of rest. So I'd like to invite Ethan DeVries up. Everybody, Ethan. Yes. Well, thank you for inviting me here to speak. Um, so yeah, um, my name is Ethan DeVries, and many of you probably know me. I'm a sophomore here at Calvin. But I wanted to focus a little bit on the Sabbath and kind of something that I've done or tried, tried to do to um, observe the Sabbath. So, but to, to begin, to get you in perspective, it wasn't a secret yesterday that Valentine's Day was yesterday. So how many of you received or gave a gift yesterday? Like, raise your hands. So there's plenty of you, and maybe for the loners that didn't have a significant other, that was me as well, so don't feel bad. It's okay. So we all like to give gifts, right? We all like to receive gifts. There's a good feeling that is associated with that. And I wanted to connect that to what it means to, be, to have a Sabbath, you know, God gave us the Sabbath day, and it is a gift for us. So naturally, when we observe the Sabbath and we take it and we, we utilize the gift that God has given to us, we get to develop these good feelings and associate that with the Sabbath. So that's kind of what I want you to think about is Sabbath is a gift. So that moves into my testimony. Last semester, Pastor Mary was talking on, she was doing a sermon about countercultural and she kind of touched on the Sabbath. And I was sitting in the back row, probably somewhere over there, and I came to Loft that night, not really planning on it, but I came. I think, you know, the sovereign hand of God guided me to come. I, I truly believe that. So when I was there, she touched on being countercultural and what it meant. And it kind of ties in with the whole phrase of, what does it mean to be in the world, but not of the world? And she said, Friday and Saturday nights, you look at our culture, she said, Friday night, you party, right? You party, you go out with your friends, you watch movies, you hang out in your dorms, do whatever students do. I know we watch tons of Netflix that goes around. It's probably a habit. So we spend hours and hours doing that on Friday. And then Saturday, it's kind of the day you, you wake up, probably noon, I would say. One o'clock, I don't know how, how late you guys sleep in. But you get up and you slowly start your day and then you start to do some recreation and you probably try to get homework in but you do more talking and hanging out with friends than you expect. Then Sunday comes around and what are we all doing? We go to church and then homework, the fear of homework sets in. So we all have to cram that in, get it done, right? So I did that too, that's, that's what I do a lot and I would be, Monday morning would come around, I'd be so tired out and I'd be like, well there's, what, six, Five, five days of the school day and then the sixth day like there's five days ahead of me of classwork and I'm already burned out so we were here with friends and we were like what happens if we actually try to be countercultural?" and that's a tough thing to do by yourself right so we said let's do our homework on Friday and Saturday and then see if we can observe Sunday as a Sabbath and so we started out on Friday this is my game plan now there's no simple cookie cutter solution I think to observing the Sabbath, but this is something I did, and I, it worked really well. So what we did, Friday, I decided, let's do homework until 4 or 5 o'clock, right, until supper time. Let's observe a normal work day, right? All the administrators on campus generally work till 4 or 5. So if I can sit down, you know, after class, there's a temptation to just go out and have fun because you're free. But even last Friday, I sat down, I took the time at the library, and I started doing my homework. And then Saturday, wake up at a reasonable time, whatever that is for you, 10 or 11 o'clock if you want to sleep in, 
And then do homework again. Get, set yourself up for Sabbath. And that's the biggest factor, I think. Friday is that day where you can set yourself up for Saturday to really be able to get that stuff done. And then Sunday came around, and I was able to just sit, be at peace, talk with my friends, and be able to observe the Sabbath. And I think if we all recited the Apostles' Creed every, you know, every week in church, and one phrase usually sticks out to me is the communion of the saints. And that was a big factor in this um, observing the Sabbath. On Sunday, we are given the, the gift to be able to sit and observe the Sabbath, but also chat with each other. Communion of the saints is the Christian body being able to have good discussions about faith, be able to just sit, chat with each other. There, there's a huge rest and there's a huge gift in that, being able to just cultivate Christian relationships. So when I had all my homework done, I was able to do that. And the results of doing this was like amazing. I, I can't express how good it was to feel on Sunday, just be able to hang out and not do homework. So that was the game plan we did. Well, as you know, we live in a fallen world, and I'm not perfect. <laughs> so that lasted for three, three, four weeks. So I got a good base down, and I experienced a glimmer of what it was like to observe the Sabbath. So that's what I wanted to share here tonight is if you can find friends, find a group of friends to really talk about this and say, how do you want to observe the Sabbath? It can go a long way because that's where I go into community Sabbath. So community Sabbath, I think is, let's see, yeah, is a very important thing because you can't do it by yourself. Um, it takes, a, you know, accountability and it takes friends to be able to say, let's sit down, let's do homework. So this is my solution that I did, and it's not, like I said, it's, there's no cookie-cutter solution where you can just do it this way, but I think this is a good way for you to see how me and my friends have done it, but also go and find friends of your, of your own and be able to discuss it with each other and figure out a tangible way you guys could do this, because I hear so many students, and I've talked with Pastor Mary, is I don't have time to do that. They just say, I have too much work. And I, I understand them. I involved in student senate. I do stuff with my, my apartment. You know, I'm involved at my church doing Sunday school teaching. And there's just so much things. And even this week, I was like, I, I do not know how I can do it. But a friend once told me, he said, when you have all these things upon you and they're pressing down on you, call out to God and pray to him and say, give me the strength to get through all that I have to do. Because a lot of the times we sit here and we want to hold on to everything. We want to grab onto it and we want to control it. And we want to be able to power through it and do it all in our own strength. But there's a big factor in saying, God, take the weight off my shoulders. Take all these things I need to get done and give me your peace and give me your strength to be able to complete these. And now doing this, this comes in with Sabbath. That's the day you do that. You let go and you say, God, help me accomplish my things, but also let me just sit here and be at peace and rest. So observing the Sabbath is intentional. We have to be intentional about it. God made Sabbath for us. We are, like Pastor Mary said in her sermon, she said, you know, he made us just a little bit like him. He put us in our image and that's why he gives us a Sabbath day. That's why he gives us Sunday to rest. 
the church observes Sunday as a Sabbath, and that's why I think it's very important that as a community here at Calvin, and as individuals, but also as group, as groups and friendships, and like within our friendships, that we observe it together. So I'm not doing it perfectly. I still have to work on it. And I plan on going into the semester with a game plan, meeting up with my friends, and trying to set down a tangible way we can all complete this. And I just want that for you guys. Like, I want to challenge you to go out and find those groups of friends, because I know you guys have friends. It's not a secret. Go do that and intentionally talk with them. Say, let's do this together. Because as we talk about Sabbath on, on campus and around, it's going to be cool to see the trans, uh, the, the, what's the word for it? The transformation that we'll see in the student body if we all intentionally observe the Sabbath. And we're all not going to do it perfectly, but I think intentionality is the biggest key here. So um, I want to end with a verse that I found online, or in the Bible, but <laughs> through the method of Google, right? Google is a great thing. So when I did a simple Google search, though, there were 78 unique verses that I found about the Sabbath, and I'm sure there's several more. But that shows us the importance of the Sabbath. There's, there's a plenty of material to read about the Sabbath, and we're doing that in the Bible study on campus. But one of the verses I picked out was Isaiah 58, 13 through 14. And it goes like this. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on the holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or taking idly, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I'll make you ride on the heights of the earth. I'll feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken." For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God spoke these words, and he's intentionally telling us that the Sabbath day will give us energy. It will give us the energy we need to get through our week. And a lot of times we all skip out on that. I skip out on that. It's a gift. It's given to us. And I think it's very important that we all, as a, as a community, pray that we can intentionally take the Sabbath day and utilize it for what God has created it for. So that's my testimony tonight, and I hope that gives sparks some discussion with your friends, and I hope it sparks some thought, and I hope the Holy Spirit works within your heart and shows you the way that you can observe the Sabbath day. So thank you for listening to me. Thanks, Ethan. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you're continually working in us to draw us into a better relationship with you, a deeper relationship, a relationship where we understand and experience your transcendence and your eminence. Thank you that you are holy and mighty and all-powerful and that you know us. You know the challenges that are before us in this week. You know what we are worried about. You know the things that we hold on to that we need to let go of. You know that worry kills rest and it kills Sabbath. And so we pray, Lord, that we will lean into your transcendence and know your power and lean into your imminence and know your tenderness. That you are our Heavenly Father and you know what we need. So call us into rest 
and into work and to life-giving rhythms. We pray this all through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people say, Amen.